Welcome back to Mages and Murder Dads, the best show dedicated to the Baldur's Gate franchise and beyond. I'm Cameron, and I play Ticklevar the Sorcerer. And I am Danny, and I play Balthazar the Barbarian. This is episode 26, and this time we're going to be talking about Diarnis Keep. This is the Fighter Stronghold, and we did the the spell casting stronghold last time mm-hmm. and we figured oh better do the kind of the the fighter fightery fighter person stronghold and that's this one so it's going to be fair and square we'll both have a stronghold moving forward and uh we'll both be uh, you know real adults with real estate in the world mm-hmm. yeah we're going to we- stop renting we're going to stop living out of the copper coronet things that we're going to start doing after this episode buying diamonds mm uh, making sure that we're not buying Tethyr-based avocados. Absolutely. We're going to be doing all the things adults are going to be doing, are supposed to do, and we're going to stop doing all the millennial things. So we're going to stop uploading Minecraft videos. If you don't follow us on a number of different things, you can do that. You can see Twitter uh, in the description for both Danny and I. You can see Facebook links to go and like us over on Facebook. You can also like the video. That would help us out a, little, a lot. You hit that little thumbs up button and you can subscribe to the channel if you haven't already done that. You can see us uh, make these videos and make some other videos as well, uh, all of which are good. And of course, uh, we love talking to people in the comments. So if there's anything in this episode that you think is worth commenting about, then you should do that. I, th- I think we have good conversations in the comments. Oh, yeah. 100% but, of the time we have, I think that Slate rated us the highest quality comment section on on YouTube. You can also support the show on Patreon. Still waiting on uh, enough to get us out of Chapter 2, so... Yeah, we're going to need... Get to work. Uh, ...about $2,000 more before we make it out of Chapter 2 of Baldur's Gate 2. Then a few episodes. The number of episodes we've done in Chapter 2 is roughly equivalent to the entirety of the number of episodes we did in Baldur's Gate 1 period, right? Mm. Yeah, that's about right. Something close. Which I guess brings us to the big question for this episode. Hmm. We do a big question at the beginning of some episodes. If you haven't heard our big questions before, they're just big conceptual ideas that we talk about before we get into the nitty-gritty uh, specific aspect of the show. And uh, our big question this week is, have our characters of Ticklevar and Balthazar changed since we created them in Baldur's Gate 1? Mm. So has Balthazar changed any? I think so. I think a little bit. I think if you, you know, flashback to the first episode of this series in Baldur's Gate 1, Balthazar acquired sentience. As he passed from the threshold of childhood to manhood, he became a a living, breathing player character. And uh, in one of his first actions, he began to rob uh, the the tavern uh, quarter in quarters and was confronted by the law and, um, and defended himself after the law attempted to kill him when he refused to be arrested, right? And I think that if that happened now, I don't know if it would go down the same way. I think it would have 
I think it would have a little a little bit of a sharper angle to it. Because he would have uh, blade-stormed his way through the <laughs> policeman? Well, I think the biggest difference would be previously the policeman said, Hey, you're under arrest. And I said, I don't want to be under arrest. And then the policeman turned red and then hit me, and then Balthazar was forced to defend himself. Mm-hmm. Whereas now, if that happened, I think... The policeman would have confronted me and said, hey, you're under arrest. And then Balthazar would have looked at the policeman and said, I am going to kill you now. <laughs> without <laughs> having without having the nece- without needing the justification for self-defense. Uh-huh. Yeah, just I think that the threshold for raising Balthazar's ire has lowered significantly. Well, it seems like it is no longer anything to do with self de- self-defense. It seems like it has something to do with convenience. That mm. that it is inconvenient for this guard to be in Balthazar's way, and so then therefore Balthazar murders him. So so is Balthazar just like a pure hedonist now? I don't know if it's hedonist. I think Balthazar is just a force of nature, and Balthazar. It's in the same way that you must comport yourself to a storm, right? <laughs> like uh, a hurricane is coming through. You do not make demands of it, right? Like you just have to, you have to figure out how you're going to live in this world where a hurricane's coming at you, and Balthazar is just like incredibly insulted when people do not treat him like that. Oh, I see. It's a self worth issue. One hundred percent. Oh yeah. That his self worth is incredibly high. Very high, and I demonstrably so. <laughs> like it's not. It's not as if that's that's solely subjective, right? Like Balthazar has single handedly destroyed deity like demon figures. Um, killed large dragons like like sleeping at the bottom of, of ruins. He's murdered roughly two million people. Um, yeah, he spent weeks in a beholder's lair just killing very powerful goths just just for just to pass the time, just because he just felt like it. Mm-hmm. If you aren't treating Balthazar like a force of nature, you're just objectively foolish. I mean, yeah, you've made a bad choice. You have. I wonder how many, like a, a villager, just your average human being, is worth X amount of experience points, mm. right? Mm-hmm. And that's and that's equivalent. Some some number of of village people. My cat is yelling. <laughs> I don't know if you can hear that. Barely. Uh, but some number of village people are equal to a beholder. Right. Sure. Like like in the universal equivalence of experience points that is Dungeons and Dragons. Mm-hmm. So I wonder what the number of people that Balthazar has killed is. Oh man. Like the equivalency number. It's the universe I mean, XP is literally like Marx's capital, right? Sure. <laughs> like, like it is the universal equivalency generator. Dear Lord. So, like, how much experience I have accrued divided by the number a, like, Nuber provided when I killed him? Mm-hmm. I'm go- I'm go- we're going to run those numbers. Everyone, we- just keep in your head. I'm going to get my D&D books out. I'm going to get my second edition books out. And we're going to run the numbers. Yeah, so we'll run the numbers, but also if you have an equation... Because I know we've got we've got some people out there that that, like, have some strong... Strong analytical skills, strong like pools of evidence they can draw from to to get us there. So that's true. You do the math, we'll do the math. 
um and let's let's see what we fall on mm-hmm. we'll get there this next but time. uh but what about ticklevar has has he changed what's what's his deal well, the last time that we talked about, like, what are these characters? I, I think that that was toward the end of Siege of Dragonspear, mm-hmm. several weeks ago, several months ago, in fact. And uh, we talked about how Ticklevar is just like the ultimate state-based believer, mm-hmm. right? It's just like a, a, someone in authority with higher technical skill than Ticklevar comes to a conclusion about how the world should be, and Ticklevar is the person in between ideas and pure praxis, right? Like, mm-hmm. he just goes and does the thing, because that's the way things are supposed to be. He's the he's the quest guy. He goes and does the quests. A lot of this is, like, really buying into the idea of meritocracy. Well, I don't even know if, if Ticklevar thinks of it as meritocracy so much as, like, someone has to make the good ideas happen. Mm-hmm. And you might be bad at doing that, but someone's got to do it. You know what sure. I mean? And you might not ever get promoted. You know, you might not, you might not <laughs> ever become the guy who comes up with the good ideas. That could be a different skill set. But you have to believe in the system. You do, but that's the underlying it all. Yeah. But it's not believing in a particular kind of system. It's just the system. Sure, sure. Mm-hmm. There's no value judgments there. It's just like Ticklevar is in a place where if someone were to question, yeah, but do we really need the Duke? Like Ticklevar would just look aghast and be like, what would there be if there wasn't this like if there wasn't these ch- this chain of command and this like this guy tells this guy to do something and then he gives me a quest? Like what would replace that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's a deeply fearful character, I think. <laughs> And uh, so, so what that means, I think, is that uh, Baldur's Gate 2 has been a very emotionally difficult journey for Ticklevar. Because there's, mm. no, there's no big other, right? Right? In, mm-hmm. in the Lacanian terms. There's no figure to tell him what to do. So that's why he's been running around and doing all these quests. It's, it's not because he is a force of nature. It's because he's like a kite. <laughs> <laughs> and he's just kind of blowing in the breeze. You yeah, know, he's he, looking for a system to latch onto and to be a part of. And unlike in Baldur's Gate 1, where we had father figure right into father figure's friends, right into the very government of Baldur's Gate, which, like the game itself is kind of dependent on the character's personal motivations. And as such, you know, Ticklevar is, you know, untethered and is just kind of floating from you know, person with needs to person with needs. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm. And and I've been kind of role-playing to that degree because about half the time when people say, like, why are you questing, right? We talked about this, I think, last episode, where you mm-hmm. can say, I'm hunting John Irenicus, or you can say, I'm looking for my friend, Imowen. Mm-hmm. And I just randomly choose one of those every time. Oh. Yeah. So, so you know, I'm trying to, I'm trying to, to keep it in that zone and maybe that's the reason why the party members keep changing and maybe that's the reason like half of the party members are like literally categorically evil and the other half are not mm. and maybe that's why jahira sticks around i don't know he's <laughs> he's playing that chaotic neutral game i think interesting what is your alignment though i think neutral good neutral good yeah or maybe even chaotic good yeah but uh 
link here to the episode where we talk about alignment for 15 minutes does not necessarily map on to complicated characters like the ones we've sketched out. Well, we went to Diarnis Keep. Mm. Diarnis? Um, Darnis? I, I think you I think you got to go Italian with it. It's a it's a place and I don't know if it was pronounced by the person that sent us here, which is a woman, a I guess a noble woman mm-hmm. named Nalia. Mm-hmm. We met Nalia back at the Copper Coronet, and the backstory that we were given for this was, "Hey, my keep is overrun by monsters," and that is the backstory. Please uh, clear it out of monsters. Which, when you compare that backstory to a place like the Planar Sphere and how that quest started. Not of not that different, right? We were just told, "Hey, there's a person. He killed some cow wizards. Go get go get those cow wizards." Mm-hmm. So, from the prompt, this can go anywhere, right? It can go anywhere, yeah. Mm-hmm. It doesn't really go very many places. No, I think it goes exactly where the, uh, the you know the, the byline on the on the initial quest entry in your journal is exactly where it where it goes. <laughs> Yeah, I think so. And can you can you say a little bit about so you know when you accept this quest, uh, you know you get a little map marker. You can mm-hmm. zip on over to the keep. What'd you do when you got there? So yeah, the first thing I did is I just kind of went around the keep, the periphery, and there's a few trolls around. And I'm thinking, okay, I'm gonna be dealing with some trolls. Luckily, I've picked up my flaming sword in my inventory, so I can like switch out when they're unconscious, so I can slay these trolls. And uh, and eventually I find a little encampment where there's uh, Nalia's waiting there. And there is also a, um, a fellow, a fellow who, uh, whose name escapes me, who's kind of like a, a captain or a mili- martial fellow of some sort. And, uh, and basically you find out that that, that is your quest to, to clear this keep out because it's been beset by trolls and creatures and, and mean things. And there's an entry you can take into, like, the basement, and you go in there. Which is very strange, right? It's like, uh, here's a keep. It's strong and scary and mm-hmm. big. And also, here's a big hole in the side of it. Sure. Which is something that we have experienced a number of times now uh, in the Baldur's Gate franchise, most notably in Candle Keep. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I just think that's a, kind of a weird... Weird thing. You gotta have a secret entrance to the castle so that when it's under siege, you are able to escape in the dead of night without being detected. Mm. Or when it's occupied by an enemy force, you able or you are able to infiltrate it at night undetected. Undetected is is important. Sure. So, <laughs> what kinds of creatures are here? Well, there are trolls. Of many different varieties. Mm-hmm. Spectral I, I troll. Some, I met a spectral troll. Yeah, you saw those too? I saw one spectral troll, yeah. Yeah, still resistant to all damage but fire and acid, which makes no, like, physical sense, right? Well, they're a ghost and a troll with the powers of both. <laughs> with our powers combined. They should be, if, if their powers were really combined, they should just be invulnerable, right? They would, like, nothing would defeat a spectral troll. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, and also Yawn T. Like, why not, right? The goddamn Yawn T. 
Yeah. Why? What is going on in this <laughs> game? Like, there has to be some kind of, like, weird subplot about the Yonti invading this country. You that, know what? It's dropped we, out. If we had to. If we had to redo the first episode, it would be the Yon T tracker <laughs> instead of the genie tracker. Because <laughs> Jesus Christ, it's it's really weird, right? So so they yeah. were involved in in human slavery. They were, um, I think, at least one of them were just hanging out with the uh, with the people in the temple district in the uh, guarded compound. Although arguably they may have been associated with slavery? Question mark. Mm-hmm. One is just hanging out in uh, Mechrath's lair, like yeah, standing around, mm-hmm. being his buddy. And now here they are, and here they're wizards, which sure. is even weirder. I mean, I, I guess not. I guess anyone could be a wizard, but mm-hmm. they they brought wizards with them. I guess is, mm-hmm. is my thing. So we're yeah. no longer getting the JV squad of Yonti. No, no. This is this is uh, senior squad. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All seniors that carry around a big paddle. They chase down smaller Yonti. But you know what? You know what the big problem is? What's that? Yonti don't have butts. Nothing to paddle. Oh. Yeah, by the end of throwing a ball, we're going to be running into like the AAA squads of just dual class sorcerer cleric yontees, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. and they have a butt. That's what you get. That's a heroic ability <laughs> for the yonti. That's the high level ability mm-hmm. possession of butt. Mm-hmm. You get a very like muscular butt that just yeah. doesn't fit on their uh, lizard body. No, I figured it'd be a once per day ability like, to just <laughs> get it for five minutes. <laughs> Summon butt. Yeah. Um so yeah, so so the the content of this keep is not great. <laughs> no, it's pretty much you go into this this was Balthazar's kind of lived experience, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You go into the keep, you hug the right wall, you try to open doors, a disturbing percentage of the doors are locked and you have to like go berserk and do holy might and then force the door open and sometimes that works and sometimes it doesn't and then there are several doors that are hidden which balthazar's lore score is very low so you just like i know it's hidden because i'm looking at the map so i just have to walk back and forth for literal five minutes of danny's time just walking back and forth waiting for a door to be seen and you roll around and you kill trolls and the occasional yawn tea and you do that for I don't know, like an hour, and that was this. That was this keep. So, what were you supposed to be doing? Like, did, did you have a? Did you actually pay attention to the quest dialogue? Yes. So, what were you supposed to be doing here? Clearing out the keep. No, You're supposed to be rescuing people. Okay. Well, I met a servant who uh, who told me about survivors, right? But mm-hmm. I think the, the the issue is is that going in, we didn't even know if there were survivors. So I had to ask him whether there were survivors. Mm-hmm. So so yeah, so, this guy's name is Daleson. Mm-hmm. And you're looking for Lord Diarnis, the Lord of the Keep, of course, and sure. his sister, Lady Delcia. Sure. Okay. Yeah, Lord Diarnis is uh, Nalia's uh, dad, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. And then Lady Delcius' aunt. Sure. And so, yeah, so, like, it's this weird thing of, like, this is theoretically a keep that is so overrun that your best shot 
is like getting in, killing some trolls, and then getting everybody out. Of course, what we really do is clear out the whole keep, right? Sure. And then we, you know, we learn. But I, I like the idea of the initial setup of like, this might be too scary for us. Which is which yeah. is what the quest dialogue gives you. I don't know if that. I mean, that's clearly not how you play it. But I mean, the implementation. I think that so maybe this is better for the debrief. But but let's let's put a pin in this in terms of like how you would design these things to mm-hmm. be more more in harmony with that kind of prompt. But in any case, the Dale Sun does mention some of the. Uh, some of the creatures here and refers to, I think at one point he refers to their diggers below. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He says, he kind of gives you the narrative of what happened mm-hmm. uh, where the invasion, he says that, that trolls attack from the top. Um, mm-hmm. And I think you and might've teleported in. And then mm-hmm. there were diggers from below that also, uh, also, you know, came up from the bottom. So it was kind of a multi-pronged attack, a very complicated strategic move. Sure. Um, I think he also offers a quest that had to do with killing dogs or feeding dogs or feeding dogs to other people, but I, I did not, I, I never interfaced with that. I don't know how to. Yeah, so I, I I looked this up afterward because he does say, he gives you this like very long narrative where he says that there's this guy, his name is Torgal, he's like King Troll, mm-hmm. and King Troll made him feed the diggers. And the diggers are, as we find out later, they are umber hulks, which are kind mm-hmm. of uh, tunneling creatures that live in the underdark. And uh, the way he did that is that he had to kill a bunch of dogs and then make dog stew and then take dog stew and like throw it down in in the basement where the, the diggers are. Mm-hmm. And A, it never gives you a quest prompt for that. So I, I like I didn't really understand it was a quest, but I did go and look it up afterward, uh, after I'd completed this whole thing. And apparently, you can uh, go outside, kill a bunch of dogs, take the dog meat from them, cook it in the kitchen, and then give it to the umber hulks. I ended up just killing those umber hulks. It was not a difficult encounter. No, um, but but yeah, it's like this very baroque way of kind of avoiding one smaller encounter. Out of relatively few, I mean, this only took, like you were saying, it took me about an hour to play through. Yeah, this is one of the one of the shortest little sections we've done. It may be that when you do this at too low of a level, the Umber Hulk's crowd control abilities are a little overwhelming. Mm-hmm. I think that they, they do confusion and, and other kind of mental stuff like that, in addition to being formidable physical opponents. So I get that there's a uh, there's kind of an, an alternate win condition there, but... Yeah, just kind of. I I would have probably tried to do it if I got a, an official, a, kind of an official journal entry or quest entry, but it didn't work out that way. Mm-hmm. So as I'm rolling around here, I find these little pieces of a weapon, uh, and I find these little flail heads. What what do those flail heads make? So this is one of the coolest things in this game, I think, mm-hmm. uh, as far as like conceptually, and it's kind of a bummer that it's stuck in this quest. Sure. Um, but So it's the Flail of Ages, mm-hmm. and the Flail of Ages is a mystical flail that has been in the, the the family, this family, for generations. And it's so powerful of a magical object that they took it apart. So they unbound the flail. Whoa. 
And so you hear, I don't remember who said it, it might have been Nalia uh, right before you, you come into the keep, but she says, you know, my father was running around looking for all the heads of his flail, which you, you would think that you would uh, keep keep tabs on those. But he was looking for all of them to put them together to to get rid of the uh, of the trolls. And so there's just like this little forge. It's a magical forge. The game is very clear about what's going on here. There's there's no trickery involved in the Flail of Ages. Mm-hmm. No mystery to it. But yeah, over the you know there's I guess three levels, four levels to this um, to this keep, and there's a flail head in a, a few of them. And those flail heads are cold. So it does like 1d6 cold damage. There's fire, which does mm-hmm. 1d6 fire. And then there is acid. Acid. Which, which is a- actually really cool because you can acquire either the uh, fire or acid head very quickly. Like it's very easy to do that. And the forge is at the virtually at the beginning of the dungeon from where you enter. So it is... Uh, it is very easy for you to get one uh, piece, take it to the forge, and you can actually make a weapon with just one piece. You do not have to wait until you've acquired all of the heads. Yeah, you can just add them piecemeal. So the game is basically providing you with another weapon that is capable of killing trolls, which I think is like fun design too, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the reasons why Dionys, Lord Dionys, was thinking about reassembling the weapon, given the invasion was of how vulnerable trolls were to two of the elements involved. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I ended up doing that and making it. And I remember that with uh, Throne of Ball, eventually when we get to that content, there are even more heads you can add to this thing, which I think is very mm-hmm. cool. And I'm excited about doing that. I gave it to Mazzy. No one in my party can currently use a flail. Did you lower the drawbridge? Yeah, I think so. That's a really weird thing that happens. So the idea, the uh, the guy who's outside, who's like the you know kind of weird captain of the guard kind of guy, he mm-hmm. says, if you go and you lower the drawbridge, my men can come in and they can help you. And so I lowered the drawbridge, and a bunch of trolls who had not been there before spawned in to fight these dudes. And then, as far as I could tell, these guys did not do a single thing to help me. Hmm. Like, not a single thing. They killed new enemies that had spawned in. Yeah, the, um, I think I lowered the drawbridge after I cleared it. Mm. So, there was no... Got a little victory lap. Yeah. Mm. So, there's, like, a, the there are weird little encounters. Like, we've talked about different kinds of dungeon design over the, the length of this podcast. Uh, we've talked about the Siege of Dragonspear stuff, which is a little bit more, like tactics rpg style a little bit more fifth edition or fourth edition D design style and we've talked about gygaxian stuff which is just like well there's random stuff in the world and it's just like the real world would be i do want to note that the loot containers for this entire place are very very gygaxian super gygaxian exactly where uh, where they should be and containing things that make sense yeah uh it's just there are just nine bullets for a sling because that's just what the person who owned this chest had they had nine bullets and 11 gold pieces yeah the the design of this dungeon includes the hypothetical life of a soldier named frederick who died two years ago and they just haven't cleaned out his box and he had his nine lucky sling bullets r.i.p frederick i I guess (laughs) 
So is there the 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 bottom layer or the the middle layer, I guess, of this uh, of this dungeon? Is a little Gygaxian in that way. Like, there are trolls in places that trolls might be, and there are locked rooms where locked rooms might be, but the upper level is mm-hmm. pure dungeon design. Mm-hmm. So, How few, so? A few things that are here. There's a guy up here. His name's Glacius. Glacius, yeah, I, Glacius. I, had, I had no idea what he was up to when I met him. He's literally just some knight, and he challenges me. He, like, had some dialogue. And he rolled up on me. As far as I know, while I'm playing this game, there are no like people here who are humans who want to kill me. Like this is weird. Sure. Glacius comes at me. I kill Glacius very quickly. Mm-hmm. Like he he goes down without much of a fight. And later I looked him up to find out what was up. And lo and behold, if Nalia is in your party, she will reveal. That he has been charmed by the Yuan Chi. So this is kind of a little bit of ooh, the Yuan Chi are doing bad stuff here. Hmm. There is a room that is full of golems. Like chock full. There's five golems. For One's me, the bigger than the rest, if I recall. Mm-hmm. So so for me it was like two flesh golems, two stone golems, and and a iron golem. And the iron golem is very tall. So mm. tall, in fact, that he cannot leave the room or it cannot leave the room you can just run out of that thing and it can't follow you yeah i think this was straight up broken for me so the way it worked for me is there are three altars in the room if you click on an altar and then loot it and in one there was like a magical hammer and another one there was a bow and then the third one one of the heads of the flail of ages and if you looted it then it woke up two golems and then the last one woke up the the iron golem. That didn't happen for you. Interesting. I wonder if you have to loot everything from an altar in order mm. to wake up the golems. Because I I looked at the things on the altar, but Bal- Balthazar's only one character. He's got limited carrying space, and money is no longer uh, an important thing for Balthazar. Like he has enough to get to you know. Sp- don't listen to this if you're considering putting into the Patreon. But he's got he's got enough to get out of chapter two. Um, and uh, so I don't loot every magical item I see. So I only looted the uh, the flail head, and maybe there was something else on the altar, and I didn't loot it, and that's the reason why the golems didn't animate. But yeah, I just kind of walked around the golems and. I, I was wondering if there was like a puzzle or something that I was missing, but yeah, just a just a way to punish you for your greed. Mm-hmm. Unclear why they didn't use these golems. Like, or maybe this is the thing. We know for a fact that making golems is a difficult mm-hmm. and b expensive. Sure, the Giarnises have probably got. This is probably 100,000 gold pieces worth of golems here. God, and how many gallons of mimic blood? Probably at least one gallon of mimic blood, which yeah. is hard to get. Really hard to get. And they're just you, hanging you out have here. To, you have to walk uh, 15 feet into a cave that's nearby to do it. But that cave is in the Umar Hills. Sure. And they're in well, the I just, I just imagine that there's all, you're always 15 feet within a cave with a mimic. I think that that's also a possibility. Hmm. Gotta run the numbers on that. Okay. But you would think that a place with this capability might be able to sick a couple golems on a couple trolls, is all I'm saying. Sure. But unless it's a fire golem, the, the trolls would just keep coming. 
Oh my god. No, it would just be a golem pounding of a eternally regenerating troll in the face forever. We gotta simulate that. Yeah. So, but in order to get here, you actually meet Lady Delcia. And yeah, this, that's right. And this is, I think, the most um, interesting part of of Giarni's Keep. Do you remember this encounter? Yeah, this is practically the only real narrative that you get. Mm-hmm. You get mean mugged by a by a troll. We're going to talk about in like half a second, and you interact with a very unpleasant woman. So this is this is the the latter half there. Well, I think that there's an interesting um, critique that's happening here. Sure, no, and it, it gets dropped a f- several different times, which I think if you have Nalia in the party, your experience in this dungeon is very different, and yeah, maybe better, who knows? Yeah, I think so. I, I was not willing to do that. Yeah, but when you first uh, meet Daleson, the, uh, one of the servants mm-hmm. that's, that's kind of here, and he kind of guides you and tells you about the survivors, uh, Daleson basically says, look, these these nobles are terrible. Um, Nalia basically thinks that she is kind of a champion of uh, of the peasantry, of the of the workers and of all of the servants. And she she has this affinity for them. However, she's still a noble. And it's almost as if she's forgotten that, that she's like still afforded all of the privileges of her station and while still like being able to call herself a champion of the of the peasants. So they Daleson like puts his finger on that kind of tension like from the get-go. Mhm. Um now when you meet Lady Delcia, she just represents the purest like most evil hierarchical feudalistic vision of of forgotten realms that we've seen so far, right? Um she does not view anyone she views everyone who is not of noble birth as just absolute degenerates. And she treats you that way. Yeah, she's deeply unappreciative that you have rescued her. And the reason is that because you're dirty. You're yeah, a you're dirty, dirty and you're, you're obviously lowborn. And, um, and although you're still obligated to do it, she's going to like trash talk you all the time. And it's it's interesting. Well, I really love that uh, that when you open the door, there's a guard who's there with her, no, and, and that's he like right. he like parenthetically talks to you. He's whispering, I guess. Yeah, and he, and he basically says all of this too. He's like, "It's been terrible being here with with her. She's awful. Please let me go. Can I go now?" Sure, and sure. Said, go ahead. The did you get the the dialogue option to just straight murder her? Yeah. What did Balthazar do? So yeah, I got a dialogue. Basically, she called me a degenerate lowborn twice, and the first time after she did it, I was like, "Wow, that's a very uh, nice thing to do to the person rescuing you." And then she just did it again, and I got the dialogue option. Okay, well, you know, I and you know, Balthazar, the dialogue option was more like, "I think all of these peasants would be better if you were dead," which wasn't exactly what Balthazar would have wanted to say. Right, mm-hmm. like Balthazar at this point does not care about killing this person for the working class. He cares about killing this person because they're bad. Right, mm-hmm. they they have stood in the storm's way, kind of kind of the Punisher style. Yeah, um, lady. But the real thing that got me 
was that Lady Delcia like doubles down in that moment. In yes. the moment where this incredibly <laughs> powerful adventurer has threatened her and she's like, go ahead and kill me. My only regret is that your dirty peasant hands will be the ones that kill me. But like, I am going to stand by everything that I have said and I will like, I regret nothing. So in her dying like words, she only fortifies her position as a, as like just a shitty human being. And then in a twist of fate, Balthazar let her go. Oof. No, no, nope. God, no. Oh, that didn't go that way? Chunks on the bedroom wall. Oof, God. <laughs> just, just. But yeah. And, uh, and like a huge reputation loss. Oh, really? Yeah. One, one reputation loss for the decision to kill her, like the, uh, the dialogue option, and then another for killing her, which I think was like especially cruel of the game, right? Mm-hmm. Like how many people say that but don't kill her? How many? Because they turn hostile. The guard does, at least. Dang. Yeah. You, you killed them both. Well, yeah, I had to. <laughs> he I, had the option. He had a choice. He, he could have left. He could have left. Yeah. Hmm. Well, I think it's interesting that there's, like, this weird class critique kind of coming and going, right? That that the implication being that, like, someone in the nobility in this world, mm-hmm. if you buy into being part of the nobility, you're just straight up evil. Like you're you're not gonna you're not gonna be a good person, hmm. and we we've seen this quite a few times over the course of uh, of both of these games. But if you're a part of the nobility and you're trying to disavow that, the hmm. very fact that you're a part of the nobility means that you really won't get it. Mm-hmm. Which is like the critique of Nalia that's happening here. That that in her rush to represent the peasantry or whatever. Uh, she ultimately does them a disservice because she's like patronizing and kind of a jerk um, and things like that. I just think it's interesting. There's no, nothing gets resolved here. I do think that her personal quest, if you are a, if you bring her into the party and you uh, do the stronghold quest and solve her issue with, um, we'll talk about in a minute, but you, you solve the issue of her uh, like, arranged marriage i do think that she kind of like comes into some personal awakening so i think there is a longer more interesting story there that doesn't just kind of leave you here but if you don't do that this is exactly where we're left sure and i think that's and a I do, weird thing. i do want to uh, mention one other thing that dalson says which i think was really interesting because i was toy you know playing around with dalson's dialogue when i first met him and uh and Balthazar, not a friend of slavers, mm-hmm. because that is just the ultimate sign of weakness. Mm-hmm. And I think you can extend that logic to nobility and feudal lords, right? Very easily. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I made a dig at Daleson about, yeah, we need to get rid of this nobility. And I think it's Daleson. I don't think I've invented this dialogue from him, whole cloth. But I'm pretty sure Daleson says, okay, well, what would you replace it with? Like, where does that leave all of the peasants, right? And then Balthazar is, like, paging through his copy of The Road to Serfdom, just going, wait, 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 one second, (laughs) hold on. (laughs) Yeah, but I mean, yeah, so I think all of these elements point to the fact that the game is, like, 
it, it's doing some work here. Um, I think the the real weakness is that they didn't just didn't like make this more prominent, right? Mm-hmm. Like instead of a bunch of trolls, what if? Well, we'll put a pin in this. Talk about it at the debrief. Mm-hmm. And um, did, to be uh, fair, you need mm-hmm. to you will be doing the stronghold quests, and I think what you are alluding to does show up in those stronghold quests. Okay, good. Okay, good. Did any of your so did you did you kill Lady Delcia? No, I didn't. Hmm. Did I, any of your party members like interact with her? Mm, yes, uh, everyone had something negative to say about her, and the only one that I wrote down, Viconia, said that she should be tortured in the abyss or in the demon web pits by Lolth. Mm. Which is like the worst shit that can happen to you, right? I cannot that is, think of yo, a worse thing. Top. I mean, it's her and the Demogorgon, right? Like that's one and two. We just don't know which order, and you don't want to find out. Yeah, you don't want to know. Um, that is interesting because Viconia's, so if Viconia was, were a regular drow or like a more typical drow and he had like the evil drow that we're used to, mm-hmm. because Viconia is not a, a worshiper of, of Lolth, um, all other drow that are kind of, uh, traditional non heretics are super hieratic, uh, hierarchical, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Like genders and religious station and house, their entire society is just based on hierarchy. Um, that hierarchy is constantly in flux and subverted, and there's there are betrayals, but the hierarchy exists. So I have to imagine that Viconia has especially negative feelings or emo- or you know thoughts about feudalism and the and like nobility and those kind of hierarchical structures in the uh, in the surface world just as she would in the underdark yeah yeah i think so i i and i believe that there's probably going to be more of that coming out later right most of the party members in this game have some sort of personal quest so like for example right in the middle of being in the in this keep you remember that halfling who met me outside of the planar sphere and that whole yeah, thing yeah last episode Mazzy is now like, we have to go do that now, or I'm going to leave and do it myself. So I think that's Whoa. probably going to be our next episode. Mm-hmm. Or at least I have to go do that. Um, so, like, that kind of thing happens. I believe that Viconia has one of those as well that kind of deals with some of these personal issues. And I'm curious to see, like, where that makes her land on kind of, like, a authoritarian, libertarian scale. Sure. For lack of a better structural... Uh, versus chaos scale. Mm-hmm. No, that will that will be interesting. But I guess the the way this dungeon ends is we just find a a troll king and we kill the troll king, right? Yeah, you go on down there. I, <laughs> I, I, I do think this is interesting. So you go down to the basement, and the first room you go into after like the landing room is straight up a torture chamber. Sure. Like, what the hell were they doing here? Needing a torture chamber. I but, think it just keeps that's just that's not even a, a separate option. That's just like you pick your color and vanilla. It's going to come with a torture chamber. Oh, I gotcha. Mm-hmm. Uh, you got to turn that thing into a rec room. Sure. But yeah, there's a, there's a dude named Torgal, and this is this was really weird. So I go in there. Torgal's there. He's got two other greater trolls with him. He's got the the dead body of Lord Diarnis. So so that's probably not going to end up well for that guy. No. <laughs> but Torgal is like, hey, what's up? <laughs> and I was like, hey, you know, we don't have to fight here. We can we can talk this out. Because, like, this is a troll who has allied 
with another species. An empire-building species, by the way. The Yonchi, whatever episode we talked about the Yonchi in. Like, they do some real shit. Yeah. So, he's allied with them. He has figured out how to do at least a dual, perhaps a tripartite, invasion strategy of a keep. Like, this troll is kingdom-building. Oh, yeah. He seems to have his shit together in a very interesting way. And, so and this is like, very attractive to Ticklevar. Well, I would just, you know, I'm looking for a <laughs> boss here, ultimately. <laughs> At the end of the, the series, we're going to find out that, that Ticklevar was his own boss the whole time. Aw. I know. His, he, the, the big other was in his heart the whole time. Uh, we're going to have a little, we'll have to put the more you know, uh, like animated gif in in the show for that realization <laughs> but uh but yeah i want to talk to torgal and he was just like no we're gonna fight it out like there was no possibility of having a dialogue option at least uh in in my experience of trying to get to talk to him so that was kind of a bummer well that i guess that completely uh every 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 like disappointment that Ticklevar has is a complete justification for the way that Balthazar acts. You <laughs> should have just swung first and asked Yeah, uh, you should have just later. swung first, yeah. Well, maybe that's true. Mm-hmm. But, so yeah, so killed, killed King Troll, went outside, told Nalia about it. Nalia goes into a long explanation. Let me tell you my side of this, and I'm very curious about what your side of this conversation was. Sure. She says, well, my father, yay, I'm so glad that the keep is cleared of all troll, troll kid, spectral and otherwise. But actually, this is bad, because I have an arranged marriage to a guy named Rowanall, and the Rowanalls are real jerks, and since I'm the only heir to the Diarni's fortune, the Rowanalls are going to come in marry me, and then spend all of my money and take us to ruin. They are bad. Mm. Oh, mm. no. And I say, well, what about a marriage of convenience? You know, like, Ticklevar marries you, we make this this go, and she says, no, 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 that won't work. That would be seen through immediately. If only you were some type of warrior, we could have used some ancient, uh, like, rituals to make you Lord Protector and that would solve the problem, but it won't. And then I was like, well, what about blah, blah, blah? And she says, no, 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 no. You had to be a strong warrior. I'm sorry. I guess I'm just going to lead this life of crappiness. Can I come with you in your party? To which I was like, no. you, <laughs> No, absolutely not. And she said, well, I guess I'm just going to marry that guy. And then she runs away. Wow. And out of the story forever. I like how her dialogue options are the most DM railroady dialogue. <laughs> how about any one of these other reasonable solutions? Nope, you must be a warrior. Only a warrior could ever possibly complete the the tasks and challenges of the ancient rites. Only a warrior could become steward of the keep. Yep. And then Ticklevar's like, you, I, I have a billion dollars, and I'm like well-respected, and I have the references of Lord Belt, and... Mm-hmm. We can make this work. I have warriors in the party. Look at Mazzy. She's got a little flail. Look, she's 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 constructed the flail of ages. I, she's carrying I, it. I am the owner and operator of a giant orb that flies around the universe. <laughs> <laughs> like, I feel like I can handle managing 
managing basically a house. Yeah, man- managing a keep whose uh, whose structural integrity and defenses are so formidable that a group of Umberhulks, trolls, and Yuan T were capable of infiltrating it simultaneously through three different methods. Yeah, it, I mean, but she was like, no, 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 you don't get it. So maybe she was just being patronizing because I grew up in Candle Keep. Mm, mm-hmm. The ultimate, the ultimate discrimination. Yeah, Balthazar just said, "Yeah, it sounds like if I just became ward of this, it would solve all your problems." She was like, "Yeah, that's 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 exactly right." Which so is the idea that if there is a ward, I can retain her services and she does not get married off, or rather, the 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 other family, the family that's trying to marry her, would no longer be motivated to marry her because the steward would be in control of the keep and not Nalia. Like, is it is it A B a little bit A and B? I have no idea. You tell me. I didn't see any of this. No, I, I don't. I it was this don't was know. all of that setup was like you saw the same setup I did. Mm. It was just the decision that you missed out on. I think you'll find out. Like, I, I believe that in your Stronghold missions, it's been pr- literally a decade since I've I've done the, the fighter Stronghold missions, but I believe that what those Stronghold missions are about, so so the Planar Sphere, the ones I do, are about, like, managing wizard shit, so, like, training some apprentices and doing some discoveries and things like that. Mm-hmm. I think that yours is about managing the land, and the land's in order to make sure that it can be self-sustaining and not get taken over. Hmm. So so it, the, preventing, I think, both a peasant revolt and, like, the Rowanals from doing stuff. I believe that's, that's going to be interesting stuff. to see how Balthazar plays that. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm curious about finding out. Yeah, okay. So I know you're excited to, to debrief on this. You have some big, grand, conceptual ideas about Giarni's Keep. Yeah, I was just I to be honest, this was a little disappointing, right? Um I we both played the Planar Sphere, that was your stronghold quest, that was really interesting and weird and Dungeons and Dragony too, right? Like a weird pseudo lich rolling around the galaxy's ancestor didn't want to get his soul sucked out of him, so we went and we we found out that it was possessed by some entity, and we went to the abyss, and we had to kill a demon and get its heart in order to fuel it to get back to the prime material plane. That's a pretty, com- you know, comprehensive summary, right? Mm-hmm. There and were, we, yeah. yeah. And we've done other stronghold quests, too, right? Temple of the Unseen sure. and I is a stronghold quest. It's a big, beefy, weird kind of quest, and the Umar Hills is the ranger one, and that's a big, strange quest that takes you to a bunch of different locations. Yeah, and this was a keep with trolls and some snake people in it, and and a couple of umber hulks, and mm-hmm. it just felt very, I mean, it felt very limited in some ways, and it was also one of the few stronghold quests where it's just one area, really, right? Like, I guess the keep has several maps and the floors, but they all look the same, and this, the fact that this is the uh, stronghold for the fighter class is just so it fits with the way Dungeons and Dragons feet, treat fighters and they've always done this 
like like dungeons and dragons to a huge extent is has always been kind of a nerd fantasy fulfillment of of you know catering to players that were maybe bullied by jocks and athletic types and and i think that the the system itself has a deep-seated desire to punish the jocks and athletic types and I gotta say, both Danny and Balthazar are deeply wounded by the uh, the vengeance that is this underwhelming keep. I mean, I wonder if here's let me let me give another potential narrative for this mm-hmm. year, rather than it being kind of jocks versus wizards, as it mm-hmm. were. I think another way of thinking about it is that. The Gygaxian design that we praise so much, and I do like a lot of Gygaxian ideas, Mm -hmm. is kind of predicated on the idea of, like, a dude with a sword and a shield can do X amount, and a wizard can probably do more than that person. Sure, and there's uh, there's also the idea of... Baked into the Gygaxian universe, there's this idea of, hey, barbarians and fighters, they start out real strong. If you've ever played a level one D&D campaign, like, objectively, the wizard is just the weakest class for, like, the first several levels, right? Mm-hmm. They, just, they just aren't able to do anything. Later D, later versions of D&D have kind of, like, mitigated that. But, uh, and there's this idea of, like, hey, the, the floor of the fighter is relatively high, you know, like they do that thing that they do, but there's only so much better you can get at swinging a sword. Mm-hmm. Whereas manipulating reality itself has a very high ceiling. And you know, I think I I do think at some point in this in the show we will talk uh, about the kind of Gary Gygax and then uh, Arneson, Dave Arneson split mm-hmm. right the split of design. That happens between those two kind of co-creators of early Dungeons and Dragons, but it's worth noting that Dave Arneson, in his own early campaigns, while Gary Gygax was working with Chainmail, uh, not not literal Chainmail, but the rule set for Chainmail, which was kind of like tactical combat rules for single individual medieval fighters, and it had a little bit of wizardry stuff in it too. That mm-hmm. Dave Arneson was creating things like superheroes that were people with swords and shields that could also do extra special weird things sure and that and that didn't really make it into the the more refined strict rule set gygaxian stuff and i think that like this is the 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 payoff for that right is mm-hmm. that at least in dave arneson's vision of it there were ways of making a dude with a sword and a shield more powerful and interesting and able to impact reality in not the same way but just as important ways and that really isn't in the Gygaxian uh, kind of universe, I don't think. Yeah, I think, and we'll have to see it. Maybe that the keep is more of a slow burn and that is going to get better with uh, better as it goes when it comes to completing these stronghold quests. And it may be that the planar sphere is kind of already stole, you know, already kind of exhibited its thunder. And mm-hmm. like, where where is it going to go from here? Um, I do think I would have loved to see more explicit class talk, even bad class talk, right? Like just mechanically, like have the uh, have the peasants like be be a bunch of survivors, like having blocked off, and have them be like, "We're not going back. 
right? We're, we're, mm. we're working with the trolls now. They're at least fair, right? Like, something like that would have been really interesting and having the, the, the player, like, make a real ethical decision because the only real, like, moral decision you make in this, in this uh, keep is whether to kill Lady Delcia, which had no consequences. Mm-hmm. Like, I spoke to Nalia. Nalia never acknowledged that. Hmm. Well, geez, Louise, so I guess there, Mazzy's going to leave your party if we don't go to trade meet. So I guess that's next, right? Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's trade meet. I got to make sure. It could be Winspear Hill. Winspear oh my God. Hills. Good Lord. Why can't I say the word hill? Yeah, we've only got a couple more things to do as far as episodes are concerned uh, before we actually jumpstart the, uh, the, the story again. We have to do Winspear Hills. Hills. Uh, we have to do the the docks district, mm-hmm. and then that's it. I think. Sure, we probably would end up doing the graveyard district the graveyard. at some point. Yes, mm-hmm. yeah, we end up being put into that anyway, though. Yeah, uh, we'll, yeah. We'll talk. We'll talk. We'll, that that'll appear in the next couple episodes, but. Uh, same as at the top you can follow us both on Twitter you can like Mages and Murder Dads over on Facebook if you haven't subscribed here on YouTube you can hit the subscribe button and please hit the like button at the bottom of the page it's a little thumbs up that helps us out and gets more eyeballs on the show which we all want if you really like the show and you want to support it financially you can go to the Patreon link in the description and uh, kick us a little bit of money there's currently uh, you, you get some little essays and whatnot uh each month but that's going to change soon uh but there'll be more for the better for the better for the better and there'll be more information about that very soon that'd be bad if you downgraded it and made it like yeah instead of essays you get an exclusive tweet you get you get one tweet to you one thank you tweet but yeah so this was episode 26 right yeah yeah uh i'm cameron and i'm danny and goodbye Ciao. A wonder.